Hey, everybody, what is going on? Welcome back once again to a brand new episode of Sweeten Up, episode number 48. I am your host, Jeff Spencer, recording this right now from my old podcast studio, which used to be located in the heart of Newtown, Connecticut. But as of today, this recording, Friday, April 16th, we are now in Danbury, Connecticut. We are excited to be here, and thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I greatly appreciate it, whether you have for a while or you are today for the first time. It means a lot to all of us here at the podcast. As always, if you like what you hear on the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe anywhere you get your podcast so that you never miss a future episode. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Sweeten Up Podcast. Also, if you have a suggestion for the podcast, want to write into the show, or would like to be a guest on the podcast down the road, please reach out to us at sweetenuppodcast at gmail.com. With that being said, my guest on the podcast today is the great and powerful Miguel Rivas. Miguel Rivas, who many consider the Anthony Bourdain of craft beer, who's better known on social media by his handle, The Beer Trekker, is a Brooklyn-based photographer and creator of The Beer Trekker, a photographic journey and storytelling project about beer culture and the people behind it. Over the last four years, Miguel has visited over 300 breweries throughout the U.S. and internationally to destinations like Western Canada, Costa Rica, and Monaco. Miguel has been published in prestigious industry magazines like Beer Advocate, craftbeer.com, craft beer and brewing, as well as the New York Times Magazine and Plate Magazine. He's also been on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network and panels like Travel Plus Social Good to talk about beer-tography and the power of social media, branding, and brand recognition in the craft beer world. Miguel joined me live via Zoom video conferencing from his place in Queens, New York, and we had such a fun and laid-back conversation talking about how Miguel found his love of craft beer, how the beer trekker came to be, his travels around the globe, his favorite styles of beer, his favorite brewery, a cool story at the end about Anthony Bourdain, and so much more. I have been following Miguel for years, so getting this opportunity was incredible. He is the real deal. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, sit back and relax, because here he is, my friend, the beer trekker, and a wonderful human being, Miguel Rivas. Joining me on the podcast today, live via Zoom video conferencing, I am so thrilled and so honored. It's one of the honors of a lifetime because I've been such a fan of this gentleman for the longest time. He's known as the beer trekker, the great and powerful Miguel Rivas. And Miguel, Thank you so much for joining me on the Sweeten Up podcast this evening. I really appreciate you giving me some of your free time down there in Queens, New York. And how are you, my friend? Hey, Jeff. Thank you very much for the invitation, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, we just met right now on Zoom. So, you know, this, this is the new reality we're living in. But uh, since you reach out, I, I went and listened to some of your podcasts and I really enjoy them. So I'm very, very happy to to be joining you today and just chatting. So thank you again for the, for uh, the invitation. I appreciate it. Listen, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the kind words. And uh, yeah, this is this is the new normal, huh? Um, hopefully down the road here, we got to do a podcast in person. Um, I'm I'm would love to go mobile and sit down at a brewery and have a beer and do a podcast with you for sure. <laughs> that would be lovely. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, listen, Miguel, um, like I said, huge honor. Been a fan for years now, following you uh, throughout your journey. So I'm I'm so super honored to be able to chat with you now about everything you've done the last, um, you know, four or five years. And and listen, uh, before we get going, one place I like to start, one thing I like to do with all my guests is just check in, see how you're doing, especially with the last year and how crazy everything has been. So how have you been? How's your friends, your family, your loved ones, everything like that? And how has the last year been for you? Well, thank you for asking. That was very kind. Uh, this last year has been very challenging, uh, trying. It started, well, here in the United States, started for everyone at around the same time in March of last year. So a year, exactly a year ago uh, now. I had just come back from my last trip I did last year to Argentina. I was coming back from hop harvest in, in Argentina. And as soon as I got to back to New York, that was around March 6 or 7, uh, a week after, boom pandemic exploded and in new york city specifically it was like epicenter so it was like really bad uh so it was it was uh, it was a little frightening you know just to to have to be like in lockdown and i couldn't see my daughters for i didn't see them since i got back until probably may so it was like a couple of months Uh, we will see each other like this but i couldn't see them you know i was just like in lockdown so, you know, um, it was kind of hard because I couldn't, part of my, my work is to travel uh, locally or internationally. So I couldn't do any of that. Not even here in New York City, I couldn't even go to breweries in, in New York City. So it was, uh, it was very interesting. And, and then the summer hit. And after some months of just being locked down, I decided that, you know what, fuck it. I can't stay here. I need to, I need a break. So I ended up moving to Ecuador. I spent the last six months of last year in uh, in Ecuador, in South America. Uh, that was that was very nice. Um, it was you know same as as here in the states. Things were in lockdown and same issues we were having here. But at least I was living out in like in in like in a little village in a open house with you know a big green area. So it was like you know it was nice not to be in a in a shoebox like most people are here in new york city so it was uh it was interesting i got to do some work over there i got to travel a little bit at the end of the year uh, i was able to go to colombia and do some work there so it ended up not being that bad and again i got to experience being living in another country again for a while and working on my project over there so you know uh, overall i'm I have to say it was uh, it was it was good for me, and as far as my loved ones, my daughters. I have two daughters. They're they're great. You know, kids have been it's been very tough for kids this last year for school, the whole social distancing uh, the social distancing thing, not being able to see their friends, doing all their schooling like this uh, via Zoom. Uh, it's been it's been tough on them. So you know, kudos to them for you know for trying to hold up and. And do the best that they can. You know, it's, I know for me as a parent, it's going to take a lot of like uh, reinforcing and being, being there for, for the kids because it's, uh, it can take you, if it take a, a wrong turn, it can, it can get pretty dark, it can go to very dark places. So 
Yeah, you know, I it's good to hear that everyone's doing well, for sure. That's awesome. And, you know, I couldn't agree more with kids and how, um, you know, they really need to socialize, especially at a young age. I mean, I've said to so many people, I couldn't imagine being a young kid during COVID and, and what that would have did to me because I am such a social person. I mean, it already really impacted me because I'm, I'm a very social person, but I'm really glad to hear that despite everything, you were able to make the best of last year and, and do a couple things because uh, when everything started, you were actually one of the first people I thought of. I thought, man, what is Miguel, what's Miguel going to be up to? Because I mean, a lot of what you do, like you said, is, is being local or, or traveling, uh, traveling internationally. You know, speaking about all that work that you've done, um, and it's just absolutely incredible, and I can't wait to dive into it. But speaking about that, where did this all start for you? Where did this journey of beer and storytelling and visiting breweries and that passion, where did that really begin for you? So for me, it started like my whole project started a little over seven years ago. And like I mentioned before, I have two daughters. So uh, when they were born, it kind of happened that I decided to stay at home and take care of, of first of the oldest one and then the other one came. But I, I was a stay-at-home dad full-time for six years, for the first six years of their lives. And around the same time, I, you know, I needed to have like an outlet, like a creative outlet. Otherwise, I was going to go crazy at home all day with, with the girls. So that's how this started that. You know, I just decided to put a few of my passions together and I'm, you know, I'm very passionate about photography, about beer and traveling. So I just put them all together. I've always been a fan of, not always, but since I got very serious about beer, probably almost 20 years ago, since I moved to New York, I was very passionate about Belgium beers. Like that's, that's what did it for me. Like Belgium beers, especially the ones from like the Trappist Abbey's. So when I tried those beers here in New York, when I first moved here in 2002, I was like blown away. And then, you know, I continued looking for them any chance I could. I will buy them at stores or drink them if I saw them at a bar. And 10 years later, that's when I decided, you know what, I want to go to Belgium and I want to visit this Trappist Abbey. So I, I went to Belgium in 2013. I visited all six of the monasteries that make Trappist Abbeys in Belgium. Nice. Uh, because I was a, a tourist, a regular tourist. It's it's very hard to to get into these uh, monasteries because of their way of life. They're very secluded, and you know that's just the way of life. So it's it's you cannot just go and say, "Hey, I want to go in there." You can't. <laughs> but I did go and visit them all. Like I drove around the country and I went to where all the locations were. And usually across the street from the monastery, there's either like a, not a tap room, but like a little bar or a store where they sell the beers. And most of them I had tried already here in the States. So it, for, for me, it was just like to travel and go and see the places. And then I visited some other local breweries. Like I went visit Cantillon and I went to Duvel. Oh, Cantillon. So, I'm a, I love Cantillon beers. Oh. So when, when I was there, while I was there, I started posting some of those pictures on my personal account. And I remember family members and friends asking me, it's like, hey, is everything okay? Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fucking Belgium. I'm, I'm great. Oh, well, we're just asking because lately you have just been posting all about beers. So we just want to know if you were okay. Is this a thing? Are you an alcoholic now? 
And I just decided, you know what? Fuck all of y'all. I don't need to give anybody any explanation. Uh, so I opened the, the Beard Tracker account. And it's kind of implied in the name. You know, like you, if you're going to follow, that's all you're going to see. And I started posting the pictures there. So when I got back to New York, it was around that same time. It was like this big explosion of breweries happening again, uh, like rebirth of breweries in New York City that hadn't happened since, I don't know, probably the 80s. I think Brooklyn Brewery was one of the, and then Six Point opened in 2006 or something. But yeah. 2013, 2014, there's like this big explosion of breweries opening, like Other Half and Finback and all these breweries started to open. And so I started uh, reaching out to them and going visit them, taking pictures. And I started to create like a portfolio of images. And so, you know, I started focusing on local breweries here in New York City. Then every time I will travel, I will go and reach out to some breweries. So it started kind of like that as a hobby. Then maybe a couple of years later, actually the first brewery that hired me officially that paid me for me to go and take pictures was a brewery from a very good friend of mine uh dave uh with him from proclamation in rhode oh, island yeah proclamation yeah. amazing so dave hired me that was back in 2016 he was the first brewery that hired me wow and so yeah and then after that i was like all right you know what I'm I'm getting good at this, you know. My I like the the photography that I'm doing. I feel confident enough that I can now do this as uh, a job. So yeah, for the last five years has been this has been like my work. But then from there it kind of stemmed to other things. Like I started visiting more places, so I started getting more more global. And the network that I have created around the world is now you know pretty big. And this industry it's it's a pretty small industry. You know, it's, as many breweries as, as there are in the world, it's still a pretty small industry. Everybody knows each other, especially when you know, like, the big names, then, you know. So I've been very fortunate of the people I have met in this industry because for me, more than just visiting the place, to me, has been also about cultivating all the relationships of all the people I met. I'm not going to say that I have become good friends or friends with all of the breweries because it's like every other relationship. You know, with some people you click, with some people you don't. With some people you have things in common, with some others you don't. So with the ones that I had clicked and have had some sort of like, you know, things that we have in common, I have stayed in touch with those people and I have cultivated those relationships. So a lot of those people now, seven years later, are very good friends. Like Dave from Proclamation, he was a very good friend. Fortunately, he passed away on Christmas Day last year so. That was that really fucked me up. Uh, I was in Ecuador when when that happened, and I remember I received a text message from Lori, his wife, a couple of days later, and I was oh. broken when when I heard that. I was broken because he was one of the last people I did one of my lives with. So I'm happy that I still have that footage, and every now and then I would just like watch the whole thing just to just to see it. And but yeah, that crushed me because he was this. We were around the same age. We're both forty-five. He was just. He just was. He was going to turn forty-six this year. So you know, it was. It was just crushing, and it just made me realize how fragile life is. And we're here one minute, and the next minute you're not. And life is 
that fragile that it can happen in a matter of of seconds. So that's one thing I have taken very seriously. Mm. Not only because of that, but just to take every day as like if it was the last day. Just do whatever the fuck you want to do because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. So oh, I, that's, I could, that's my new approach in life. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I actually, I reached, you know, and I'm, I'm so sorry about Dave and, and that's, that's awful. That's awful to hear. And, you know, but, uh, and, you know, but it's also really good to hear about how everything started and how, you know, you've done so well with the beer trekker and, you know, but speaking of, of your new mindset and about Dave and everything, um, the last couple of years, that's been my mindset as well, because a couple of years ago, uh, I suddenly and tragically lost my mother. Um, so that was something that I had to go through that was extremely difficult. And it made me really realize that, you know, I got to really enjoy family, enjoy the moment. Um, and really just like you said, every day, wake up and treat it like it's the last day I'll be alive and do whatever I want to do and make the best of it. So I couldn't agree more on, um, on that sentiment. And, you know, speaking of all the places you've gone and, you know, the countries and the breweries and you name it, what are some favorite places that you've been throughout the country, whether it's here in the United States or internationally? And, you know, what are some favorite countries, breweries, and, and people that you've been able to meet throughout your time? All right. Well, before I answer that, I wanted to acknowledge what you just said. So I'm, I'm really sorry about your, about your mom. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that. Sure. Um, Wow, that's a very loaded question about breweries because for me, it's uh, and I probably you always get the same answer from people, but it's it's very hard to just pick one because for me, more than the destination, is the experience that you have anywhere. Doesn't matter if it's a brewery in 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 general. It, to me, it's more about the experience than the destination because yeah, you can go to a beautiful place, beautiful city. Then if all the people there are a bunch of assholes, then you're going to have a horrible experience. And then that beauty turns into shit. Same happens with breweries. You can go to a brewery that they claim to be the best in the world, make the best beers. But if they're a bunch of assholes, then that beer is not going to taste the same to me. So for me, it's more about the experience. Having said that, you mentioned we were talking about Jester King before. And Jester King, to me, is one of my favorite breweries in the world. Of all the places I've been. And why? Because the experience. And yes, they have a beautiful place. It's a beautiful setting. It's, you know, in the middle of nowhere of Hill Country and outside of Austin, Texas. But still the experience there and the people who work there are just like beautiful people. Starting from, you know, their owners, Jeff and Michael, all the way down to all the people who work there. And they have fucking goats. Like, who doesn't like goats? True. So, no, for me, it, for me, is that it's, it's the experience. So, I don't know. I think every place that I've been, that I've had a good experience, has uh, has a has a special meaning. You know, also the people that you meet along for me along the journey. In order for me to tell all these stories, be it through photography or by telling them, by sharing them like this, talking about them or writing about them, it has to come from the people, right? So it's like a, a, a string of things that have to be put together for me to to be able to say, well, I, I love this place. You know, I love this brewery. I love this 
city, this country. Like last year, I have never been to Colombia, for example, even though I, I was born here in the U.S., but I grew up in Venezuela. And Colombia is like, it's our neighbors. They're like neighbors. And I have never been. I have traveled a little bit around South America, but I had never been to Colombia. And now I was in Ecuador, which also very close. And I had this opportunity to go. So I spent two weeks in Colombia and I loved it. Like it was beautiful. It, to me, it felt so like local, you know, I mean, it's maybe because of the roots, Latin roots, Colombia, Venezuela being so close. So I, I really enjoyed it there. And the people, they were just like lovely. Um, the food, amazing. I met a lot of great people. So it's, it's again, it's about the, the experience that you get. That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of Venezuela, what was it like being there and, and spending time there? Well, I didn't go to Venezuela on this trip. I haven't been to Venezuela and it's going to be my ninth. Yeah. Nine years is going to be this year that I haven't been for, you know, political reasons. Things have, haven't been good there for the last 20 some years. So I really don't have any desire to, to go back to that. But being in Colombia, it was it was great, and again in Ecuador, also great. I had a great experience. It was uh, a little challenging at the beginning, especially in Ecuador, because I spent six months. You go to a place for two weeks, and you know that well, I'm I'm gonna leave soon. But six months that's uh, that's another thing. Like you have to start doing things as day to day, and it was a little challenging for me because I left Venezuela. I moved back to the states 25 years ago, so. I kind of got used to the system here in the United States, you know, that things, not all things, but most things, basic services work here, postal office, public transportation, things like that work. Whereas in Latin America, not so much. So it was kind of like, remember the first few months, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Like, why does it take like three days to do a, the simplest shit, like going to a bank and make a deposit, it will take like three days. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I, I was not, you know, I was not used to that anymore. When I lived there, yes, that was my day to day. But once you leave and you see that things work or they can work and you don't want to go back to that. So little things like that. But, but then at, at the end, I was like, you know what? I'm the one who's coming back here. So I need to adapt to this. They don't need to adapt to me. And that's also my my philosophy when I go to places. Like I'm the foreigner, I'm the visitor, so I need to adapt to whatever their culture is, whatever their things that they do. I need to adapt to that, and not the other way around. Because otherwise, it's just going to be frustrating the whole time. Right, <laughs> right. I totally agree. And you know, I know. But earlier we were talking about you know sort of the industry, and I know there were some things within the industry that you definitely wanted to to talk about. So definitely tell me about throughout the years, what you've noticed within the industry, what you've noticed change and what your thoughts are on everything going on right now. Well, we're going to be talking about the brewing industry right now. So I'm sure this is, it rings true to all industries, but in the beer industry specifically, there's always this, it's not a myth, but this is, there's like this kind of an aura that everything is beautiful and everything is, you know, Disneyland and everything is perfect and everybody's happy. And yeah, everybody's drinking beer. Everybody's it's uh, it will make you happier when you're drinking a lot of beer. But what I have seen in the industry is that it's not as a happy place as, you know, we want to paint it. 
because I say we because I've been in it for a while now. So I consider myself and I have work at breweries. So, you know, there is also some bullshit that goes around breweries and things that I have not been very happy about. But, you know, again, that probably happens in all industries. But for me, the thing that is what we were talking about earlier is that especially this last year has been so challenging for a lot of people, a lot of industries, not only in the brewing industry, in all industry. Everybody has had a tough time this last year. It doesn't matter what industry you are. As a, as a human being, has been very challenging for everybody. But since we're in talking about the brewing industry, I feel that, yes, the breweries have taken a, a hit and, you know, it's taking a toll on, on them financially and all that. So they want to reach out and try to get customers to, to support them, support your local brewery, all that, which is fine. It's great. At the same time, breweries have to understand that the same way they need to make money because they have to, whatever, pay their debts, pay for their equipment that they had to buy or whatever, pay for employees. They have expenses, right? There are other people in other industries that also need to pay their expenses. So for me, something that irritates me a lot is breweries that will go out and reach out to you and they will say, oh, we want to send you some beer so you can post something on your social media. Nowadays, there's these terms thrown around like influencers, this and that. I've always disliked that term and I don't ever consider me that. At this point, I know how to play the game and I will use that if it's going to benefit me in some way, but I don't like the term and I don't ever coin myself as being an influencer. So when these breweries reach out to influencers and that they want to send you beer for you to like promote it on their platform because you have a certain amount of followers, uh, to me, it's like, that's fine if you want to send that to a kid who just started and has, you know, three or maybe a hundred posts and he wants to get free beer. Of course they want to do that. But for somebody who's been doing there for a, a while and is establishing the industry, it's insulting to me when they want to send you beer. So lately I have, I've received like dozens of emails every week for all kinds of breweries, Instagram messages, emails. And lately I started replying saying, hey man, I, I thank you for reaching out, this and that. But um, I can send you a quote or I can send you, you know, my prices. And then they don't, of course, they don't reply again. So, you know, it's uh, it's very tone deaf for all these breweries to kind of want to get work for free. Because the same way they're hurting, other people in, they also need to work. And they, you know, I have bills to pay. I have shit that I have to beers. It's not going to pay my electricity. It's not going to pay my rent. So I cannot pay any of that with beer. So I feel that they're very tone deaf when they reach out. They should do a little better research who they are reaching out. Like today, for example, and this brewery is going to remain nameless, but if you have enough money to hire a fucking agency to send influencers emails and just offer them beer, go fuck yourself. Really, go fuck yourself. Because yeah. if you have money to pay an agency, it's easier just to reach out to me directly and we know each other, it's easier for you to reach out to me directly and, and work something that's beneficial for both. But paying me in beer, no. 
like especially breweries like that that are celebrating you know over 10 year anniversaries and this and that like no i'm sorry but and yeah. and i know and i know this because i know a lot of these influencer friends that are friends that we know each other personally and i see them they receive the packages and they unbox them because that's great they have their day job so this is just a hobby for them but i think the brewery should do a little more better research uh, on who the people they reach out to and it's like if i went to any of these breweries and i asked for a bunch of beers and then i will ask them, you know what i want to pay you in photos they're going to say no like i want to get paid in cash well i want to get paid in cash too motherfucker same as you want to get paid in cash i want to get paid in money not in beer so that's something that i just wanted to get out of my chest because again it's been Lately, it's been a lot of breweries doing that kind of bullshit. And I know that a, a lot of these photographers, because that's what I consider myself first and foremost, I'm a photographer. And my skills and my time, it has a value. And it's not beer. No, so, I, I totally agree. I, I'm with you that the whole inf influencer thing has really gotten out of control and that a lot of good people with real talent get taken advantage of by people who think that they just want free stuff and not to get paid for their talents. And I couldn't could not agree more. It's almost like college basketball. Like they don't get paid at all yet. Yet the college sells all their merchant. It's almost like the same thing. Like, here's a bunch of free stuff, but uh, you're not going to get paid for any of it. Like. You know, I, it, I I totally agree, and I'm glad that you've you've put your foot down and been like, "Hey, I'm a professional. Like this is this is how I roll." And on that same note, I'm so glad you came on the podcast because I reached out to you the same way they probably did through Instagram. Obviously, much different, but um, but no, I'm I'm totally with you. I'm totally totally with you, and I think that's why um, people such as myself who really like craft beer and and the industry really respect what you do. I appreciate that. And again, you know, maybe people get a, the wrong idea because when they see me doing my videos, unboxing things, just to be clear, if anybody listens to this podcast, all these people who have sent me beers are friends. These are breweries that I've known for years and years and years. So, and, and they're not sending me anything for me to promote anything. I'm doing this because I want to and because I can. And, you know, they just send me all this beer because I, I came back to the U.S. and I haven't... I was out for a while. So this is kind of like, a, we just want to send you some beers for you to have and drink. And I appreciate that. So, you know, of course, I'm, I, I have no problem like putting out a picture or a video of friends. But breweries that don't know me, that I have never tried their beer and you want me, you expect me to put like some beautiful words and pictures out of Instagram of somebody that I don't know. Like, fuck no. No, I I, to I totally agree. When I, when I saw your unboxing videos, I thought, well, Miguel's friends with everybody. Those are just his boys who are sending him beers because it's all love. And it and I couldn't agree more because my good friend here in Connecticut, Johnny Grzewski, he owns some Ar Armada Brewing Company. He sent me a little box with some beers in it the other day because we chatted on the podcast and he's a good friend and it's all it's all friendly. And I, I, I totally agree with that. So that's awesome <laughs> that part is you know one of the things that i do like that still happens in the industry is that camaraderie amongst brewers or people in the industry that you know you, you just want to share and i'm i'm always been into like sharing sharing is caring exactly. whenever i receive this this beers i take them to places 
like I can cannot drink all those beers by myself. I cannot drink a 750 of a 13% stout. I mean, I could, it will fuck me up. And why would I do that? You know, like I'd rather just take it to a, a bar, a brewery, uh, somebody's home, a bottle of share, whatnot. And I always done that. So for me, when they send me those, those beers, I save them. Now we haven't done that because of COVID, but I remember every time I was invited to a bottle share, I would tell people don't bring beers. I will bring all the beers. It's like, no, but it's like 25 people. I don't care. I'll bring three cases of 12 bottles each. There's plenty of beer. So don't bring beers <laughs> uh, just because I, I need to get rid of them too. You know? Right. No. And, and that was the same way when, when Johnny sent me this box, uh, I shared a few with some friends and my brother-in-law and, um, you know, it's interesting, by the way, speaking of beer trades and beer sharing, um, you did a trade with uh, a friend of mine once, Dan Ettenson. And when I told him you were coming on the podcast, he's like, oh, I've done a trade with him before. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's super cool. So you still you still doing that? Obviously hard with everything going on right now. But um, I yeah. haven't traded in a long time. I used to do a lot of heavy trading when when I first got into this because I just wanted to try beers, you know, and, right. and it was very hard seven years ago to to get beers from other places because breweries were very hyper local so for you to get beers but i've always done what i call you know fair trading because there are some people who have also taken this to the extreme and they just want to like get a, a liver and your firstborn for a fucking can of beer or a bottle and i've always told those people go fuck yourself you know what like you're not no you're not getting that like this is how we're going to trade your local beer and my local beers I don't care if it's from whatever brewery, that's your local brewery, and you're going to get my local breweries. And I found some people that, you know, they were they were okay with that. So it was fine. Like, all the, when I was ticking the box, I got to try a lot of those, like, whales and big beers out of the generosity of people. And I did the same thing. So I remember we were talking about Jester King again at the beginning. I had... And, and now we are we're friends. We met in person, but there was this guy. His name is Alex, and he lives in Houston, in Texas. And he will go to Jester King, even though it was a drive for him. He will go there for pretty much all their releases, especially when they were releasing Atrial Rubicide. And I remember one time, I I don't know, I commented. I'm talking about seven years ago. It was a long time ago. I commented on one of his pictures saying, oh, man, I wish I could, you know, try this beer, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of days later, he sent me a private message and he asked me for my address. He sent me a fucking bottle of atrial rubicide and a glass. And he was like, you never tried this beer before. Now you are going to. And from that day on, like, you know, we stayed in touch. And I will always send them beers from here, from New York. He will send me beers from if I needed something. When he was going to Jester King, he will text me. He's like, hey, I'm going to Jester King this weekend. You want anything? I was like, dude, whatever you can find, I'll fucking drink it. So it was it was nice because because of that also, I got to meet a lot of people. And then when I would travel to the cities, I would just reach out and did the same thing. And I wanted to pay forward that generosity of Alex. So I remember one time, I have I he I saw a comment of his not on my pay on my account but somebody else saying oh I wish I could taste some uh, Cantillon I have never tried any and I had some bottles laying in my in my cellar so I just grabbed one and a glass uh, Cantillon glass the little flute 
And on his birthday, I sent him that and something else. And he got it for his birthday. And then he was like, dude, this is my first Cantillon ever. I'm like, well, you sent me my first uh, atrial. Now you get your first Cantillon. So nice. nice. Miguel making dreams come true for people. <laughs> hey, man, I feel like, you know, when when you are generous, then karma is a thing. If you act like a dick, that is going to come back as well. And if you do good things, remember that show, uh, My Name is Earl? Oh, yeah. Do good things and good things will happen to you. Well, I firmly believe that is absolutely true. No, I, I firmly believe that's true as well. And that's one thing that my mom always told me. So I've I've hold tight to it uh, all these years. And, you know, Miguel, I definitely want to talk to you about storytelling. Because through your photos and through the work that you've done, visiting all these breweries i mean we're talking 300 plus i mean i don't know if you're at 400 plus now at this point but with your photos and with everything you've done there's a story there's a story behind the beer you know like like i've 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 seen you say and heard you say so do you have a favorite story and definitely tell me about you know what your favorite part is about telling people's story and just the whole process so that was one of the things I wanted to do from early on. And you mentioned something about the stories and the beers. Even before I started this project, I remember I was in Barcelona. And yeah, this was probably like 2008. That was the first time I went to Barcelona. And I was walking around in a neighborhood called Las Ramblas. And I walk into this bookstore. And I go in. And there's a table. And I started you know, looking at some of the books and there was one about beer. So I pick it up and I start going through the, the pages and I see this quote that says in Spanish, but it says every beer has a story. Every story has a beer. And it says anonymous. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it. It's anonymous. So I'm going to, I'm going to borrow it. And again, that was 2008. So when I started my project in 2013, that came back to me. And so I started using it. That's why I always put it in quotations because it's not mine, but I've been using it since. And, and that's something that I wanted to focus on from the beginning. Like I didn't want to, you know, at the time that I was I started my, my account and doing that, you know, of course, at the beginning, I was kind of like sharing all these beers that I was trying and writing like little notes about them. But that's not something that I wanted to do. Like I'm, I'm not a judge and I don't, I don't, Nothing against this, but this is not my thing. I don't like like rating beers, you know, like putting in numbers because who the fuck are you to be telling if a beer is, is a five, is a, is a 10? That's your own personal taste. Everybody has a different palate. So what tastes good to you is not necessarily going to translate the same to me and vice versa. So I feel like adding all these like numbers and scales to beer is actually detrimental to, to the beer. So I didn't want to do that. I would just like, share my opinion on the beer and what I thought about it, but just like, you know, my, my taste, my palate. And I was just like getting used to all these beers that I was trying. But then I saw that a lot of the accounts were doing the same thing. So you will see a lot of glasses of cans, bottled glass, cans, bottled glass. Then after scrolling like three times, you're like, ah, oh, this is fucking boring. It's just all the same. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. So I started like getting away from that and started focusing more on the people and the stories and telling those stories because there's some fascinating stories from people in the industry 
uh, a lot of people don't know about it. It doesn't have to be specifically about the brewer or the owner. It can be anyone. So you're asking me about a story that I like. There was one in particular that I always remember is at a brewery that I was working. So the story goes like this. I was, I applied for a job at this brewery and that was in 2015. So six years ago, it was a local brewery here in, in Brooklyn. And I applied and then I got the job. So I was starting on a Monday. So on Friday, I went out to celebrate by myself. I went to this bar in Brooklyn and I'm having a beer. And I was sitting at this, they were like communal tables. So I'm sitting at this table, just having my beer. And I noticed that there's this guy right in front of me, just staring at me. So at first I was like, you know, when somebody's like staring, but they're they're looking past you, not at you. Yeah. He, he was looking at, and I kind of turned to the side to see if there was something else that he was looking at. He's not looking at me. And at that time I had, when I had my long beard and I had like the ponytails, he was just staring at the ponytail. So after, I don't know, maybe let's say five minutes of the guy staring, I just asked him, it's like, Hey, can I help you? He's like, no, no, I'm just looking. I'm like, yeah, I know that you're looking, you're staring at me. So can I help you? He's like, who did that? And I said, who did what? Those, 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 who did that to your beard? It, it looks stupid. And I look at the guys like, you're drunk. You clearly are intoxicated. So I'm drinking my beer. So shut the fuck up and let me have my beer in peace. Okay. And he keeps staring at my beard and he asked me again, who did that? And I said, my daughters. He's like, what? Who lets your dog do that to your beer? I'm like, what? I said, my daughters. Not my dog. I don't have a dog. And well, it looks stupid. And I said, okay, you already said that. And I already told you, I don't give a shit. So shut up and let me have my beer. And I just didn't pay any more attention to the guy. So I leave. He leaves. I stay there. Comes Monday. I walk into the brewery early in the morning. And this guy is sitting at the bar. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what is this dude doing here? So I walk up to him. It's like, I'm looking for such and such. And he, again, he starts staring. He's like, I remember you, rubber bands. That was my nickname from that day on. I remember you, rubber bands. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm looking for this person. Oh, he's back in there. And I asked him, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm the, I'm the handyman. Like, I, I help build this place. I'm the janitor. I do everything around here. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to have to see you every day now. <laughs> and his name was Brett. And I went to the back, talked to the brewers. Great. So every morning I will come in early in the morning and Brett was there having his coffee, doing his thing, cleaning. So I started chatting with him a little more and, you know, I started learning a little bit more about him. And then I remember one day I will always bring my camera with me, even though that was not part of my job, but I always had my camera with me. And remember one morning I asked him, it's like, hey man, can I take a picture? He's like, no, I don't like people taking pictures of me. I said, okay. And then I explained a little bit about my project. And I said, now can I take it? I said, okay, but don't post it. And I said, okay. So I take a picture of him, actually a few. And, and that was that. And then I didn't see him. This was months later. Then I didn't see him anymore. So one day I asked Eric, one of the brewers who was there, and I said, where's Brett? And he said, oh, he left. Uh, you know Brett, he's fucking crazy. He left. Saying, where did he leave? I don't know. I think he went back upstate or something. I'm like, okay. Well, and I had 
this whole thing that, you know, I had this notes that I've taken and I posted that. I posted that. And even though he told me not to post it, but I just, I risked it, you know, that I posted and I put all the story that I had. And I don't know, I got so many good comments about that post because of that story. And then a few weeks later, I got a, I was not working there anymore, actually. I remember I went back to the brewery and I saw Eric, the, the brewer. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, Brett, I, we spoke to Brett recently and he said he loved your post and he loved what you wrote about him. So he said, thank you. And I was, I, it made me feel so happy wow. that, that he had. First of all, he was not a social media person at all. And just the fact that I don't know how he saw it. Maybe somebody took a screenshot or something and sent it to him. But apparently he read it and he liked it. So to me, that was everything. That's awesome. And yeah, I loved it. And, you know, part of the story that I told there that not a lot of people do, not even people who work there, was that he's an, he was an artist. He was a painter, a very good painter. And he used to give classes at the Pratt Institute, which is one of the most renowned art institutes in the United States. And he was a professor there. And because he had some hardship, he had to go back to upstate. And so I don't know. That's I, I like that story very much. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that for sure. I mean, that that's really great. And I think it speaks speaks volumes about your work and and about how um the stories and the and the you know the photographs and everything really touch people and uh and you know and it means a lot to people. And I know that throughout the years, you know, your work's been published in prestigious industry magazines like Beer Advocate, uh, craftbeer.com, as well as the New York Times Magazine and Plate Magazine. You know, what's that been like seeing your work published? I know your work was also um, in a book recently, the Beer uh, Almanac book. And, you know, what's that like for you seeing all the work that you've done throughout the years being published uh, for people to enjoy rather than just, you know, your website and Instagram and things like that? It's humbling. So it's humbling. And that started from from early stage of my project. I remember the first time some of these magazines asked me to use my pictures was probably a few months after I had started in 2014. That was like the first one. I think that was like the New York. It was not New York Times. It was like the New York uh, magazine from the from the newspaper. I think it was called New York Magazine or something. So they used some of those. That's that's when I, I kind of understood that it had a value because all these publications were reaching out to me and asking me if they could use the picture. I was not getting paid, but I was like, yeah, sure. It was just like getting my my work out there and my name out there. And then, you know, I think Beer Advocate was the first publication that actually paid me for my photos. And then, you know, I kind of stayed in touch with them. So and I started meeting all these like uh editors from all the magazines and i guess they always had like my name in their pile of other people but same same again it goes to cultivating this relationship because if you meet somebody and then you do one thing one job one work and then forget about it then they're going to forget about you but if you stay current by whatever means sending them text messages emails now and now and then just to say hi I think that goes a long way, you know, because number one, it shows that you stay relevant and it also shows that you care, that you're not there just to do one thing. And I think that that 
applies to everything in life. You know, it's it's the little things that matters. And that's the little things that people remember. No, exactly. It's the little details. Exactly. The little the little details are important for sure. I I yeah. I could not agree more. Speaking of the the details, I'm curious to ask you throughout your travels, throughout everything you've done, do you know how many countries you've been to and how many breweries you've been to, the exact number, or is it just around are we just rounding up here? <laughs> Yeah, we're rounding up um, <laughs> as far as number of countries. The the first big trip or the last big trip I did was in 2018. It was the fifth year anniversary of the Beer Trekker, and I wanted to celebrate that. And it's, so I wanted to. My original idea was, well, you know what? It's five years. You know what? I want to go back to Belgium, where it all started. But instead of doing just that, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go to Europe. I'm not going to go just for a week. So, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to plan this well. So, it took some months to plan it and I ended up going for almost 7 weeks and I visited 11 countries. So, I did like a mini tour of Europe and I went to a bunch of places that I have never been before and then to revisit a bunch of others. Uh so that was very nice. I enjoyed it. A lot. It was very intense very intense because I plan that's just my nature and my personality I'm OCD almost so I plan everything like by the minute like everything I was going to do all the places of course things happen but pretty much everything went to plan like I went to all of the 11 countries I set out to go I visited all the places that I set out to visit and then some so it was awesome and then the following year I went back to Europe, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this 11 or as many countries again. So I'm just going to take it slow this time, go to fewer places, but quality over quantity. Right. So I went back and I visited some other places that I have never been. And it was awesome. It was great. So I don't know. Let's say for beer, let's say around 20 countries. Um, and as far as breweries, I don't know. I stopped, I, I started doing a map. Like every time I go to a brewery, I map it on Google maps. So I have them probably, I don't know, 400, 500. That's awesome. So basically, um, for those listening, take a, uh, a map of the world and grab a dart and throw, throw it at the map of the world. And you've, that'll probably hit a brewery that Miguel has been to. <laughs> That um, you, <laughs> if, if you come to think about it realistically, that's that's nothing. That's like a stone in a big lake because oh, it's true. Just, just just in the United States alone, there's over eight thousand. Yeah, it's like a needle in a haystack. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> but again, for me, it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. Like I don't, want, I'm not, I'm not set out to go and visit all the breweries in the world. That's not my thing. Because again, for me, is the it's the experience. Yeah. And all the places I've been, it's been an experience. That's awesome. With a few exceptions here and there, but <laughs> for the most part. You know, I've learned so much from you. I'm sure so many other people have. But getting into what you're drinking right now, for those who can't see, definitely tell us what you're, uh, what you're drinking. So I was drinking. I just finished. I'm about to open another. Are we still going to keep talking? Can I open another one? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So I was drinking this uh, Pilsner. They call it a Pilsner. I'm sorry, boys, but uh, 
I'm not going to bad mouth you, but is their their take? Let's let's phrase it this way: their take on a pilsner. And these are my boys from Miami. They're called Tripping Animals in Miami, Florida. They're a newish brewery. They've been around since 2018, uh, but they are they're out there. Like they've been they've been hustling since day one, and you know they're out there doing their thing. So this is their take on a pilsner. I call it a Miami pilsner, very tropical, and it's called El Creepy. Uh, in Spanish, we call El Creepy to the creepy type of weed, and they do a lot of inferences about you know uh, uh, if you see their labels and if you see their branding. You're going to know what I'm talking about. And just the fucking name, Tripping Animals. Exactly. Because in Venezuela, when we say, vamos a tripear, let's, let's go and trip, means let's go and have a good time. <laughs> exactly. So if you say, we're going to go tripping, we're going to, it doesn't have to be drug related specifically. Right. That's just uh, like a phrase we use. Tripear is like to go and have a good time. So, but th they are all about having a good time. So that's what I was drinking. El Creepy Premium Pilsner Beer. I call it Miami-style Pilsner. I love it. And I know we were talking about that before we started uh, recording, uh, about your uh, you know, your love of Pilsners and how um, that's one of your favorite styles for sure. But I remember how you were saying that um, the Hoppy Pilsners, you like to call them IPLs. <laughs> oh i don't like to call them that is what they are called well, you, that, yeah so definitely definitely explain uh what your favorite style is and um your thoughts on the uh the hoppy pilsners like i said at the beginning i'm a big fan of belgian beers uh specifically like saisons here in the united states farmhouse ales mixed culture fermentation that kind of beer, that's my jam. But I also love lagers. And especially after having traveled to Germany and to the Czech Republic, a dream of mine has always been going visit Urkel, even though they're not like a craft brewery at all. But just the fact that they invited me to go in there, I was like, yes. And to drink beers down in their caves and drink straight from like the, the wooden tanks, that was just like fucking heaven. Um, so yeah, lagers, I love. And I feel like in the last two years, maybe three years, uh, there's been like an explosion of breweries here in the United States making lagers, which is awesome. I love it. But there's a lot of people also who have jumped in that wagon just because of the novelty that they see. There are some breweries in the United States that make them well. And when I say well, that they will rival any lager from Europe, from Germany, from Czech Republic from Poland, there are some such breweries here in the United States, but it's because they have studied the craft to make them like that. It takes time. This is not a beer that you can just be one day. It's like, ah, oh, I'm going to make a fucking pilsner. It's, it's a beer. It's the same like you make any other beer it uses the same four ingredients, but it takes skill because there is no room whatsoever for errors. There is no room for you to mask your inefficiencies as a brewer so what do they do when they fuck up their pilsner they just throw a lot of hops in there same thing they do with ipas and i feel and i have these conversations i have arguments with some brewers 
when they say that, you know, brewing a, an IPA is as hard as, as brewing a Pilsner. I'm like, I'm not a brewer, so I'm not going to get into the technical stuff with you. But that, what you just said, is bullshit. Because an IPA, it takes, what, two, three weeks to make? And if you fuck it up, you just throw more hops in there and you can kind of fix it. You cannot do that to a Pilsner or a lager, for that matter, because it takes a long time. And there are some brewers here that don't take the time. You know, like the when I was in Ecuador, I was living with this woman. Uh, well, I was not living. She was my partner. And she's a brewer and she has a brewery in Ecuador, but she only makes one style of beer, a lager. It's a Keller beer. Mm -hmm. So she uses this method called krausening, which pretty much what they do is they add, when the beer is fermented, they add fresh wort again to kind of restart a second fermentation. So to create the carbonation, they add fresh wort. So it's a, uh, from start to finish, for her beers to be ready, it took her three months. That's a long fucking time to have beers in tanks and, you know, not ready. And she puts them in 750 bottles, green bottles, cork and cage. And this beer is just a fucking dream of a beer. But it takes a long time. And she's, you know, she's been making them for six years. So she has that shit down, but it takes a lot of time. And I feel like here in the United States, a lot of these breweries who are now jumping into the lager game, they're not taking it. They're not taking it serious. They're not taking the time because everything right now is like turnaround. Like I have to get those beers out and I need to fill that tank again. So it's just like a lot of turnaround and they're not paying. You need to respect the beer. You have to respect the beer and you have to respect the times. If you don't have the time, then don't fucking make that beer. As simple as that. Just because you want to make you just want to make a quick buck, then don't fucking make that beer. Make some other shit. They will take you two weeks to make. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I, I also feel it's disrespectful for all the other brewers who are actually making them well and taking the time. So yeah, no. and, and it shows. So what we were talking about earlier, I feel like a lot of these breweries, and I have told a few brewers that when I try their pilsner or their lager, I'm like, this shit tastes and smells like an IPA. So what you're doing is you're trying to appeal to your IPA drinkers so just so they can say, oh, we're going to have a Pilsner from this brewery, but it's a fucking IPA with lager yeast. Yeah, and, and, and it's so funny that you, you've mentioned all this, because, and it makes me feel good about um, my local breweries. I mean, one in general, uh, we have two great local breweries here in Newtown, Reverie Brewing Company and New Silent Brewing Company, and they both make great beers. And the guys at New Asylum, um, even before they opened the brewery, they had been working on a Pilsner, um, and they've been doing German style for a, a long, long time, um, both marks. And, you know, I got to say, they have a Pilsner called Walking the Dog, because where the brewery is is a really great place where people in town love to come and walk their their dogs and, and everything like that. Uh, Fairfield, It's called Fairfield Hills. And, you know, their beer, the Pilsner, it sells out like crazy when it's canned in the store. It's gone within two seconds. Um, I was at the brewery last week and I said, yeah, I want to get the walking the dog Pilsner. And they were just like, oh, yeah, it, you know, it's gone uh, as of today. And we won't have it again for like a few months, which obviously means that they're taking the time to really make a damn good Pilsner, which I'm assuming is why so many people are snatching it up. And hopefully 
I would I would love to get a walking the dog and either ship it down to you or if you ever want to come up to New Asylum and, and grab them with me because I feel like you would love it as well. But I totally agree with you as far as, you know, the whole IPA and Pilsner and the quick turnaround. Definitely the beers that people spend the most time on are, are just so much better. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And actually, you guys have, I haven't been to this place yet personally, but I have tried a lot of their beers and I actually knew one of their brewers there. Uh, Fox Farm. Oh, Fox Farm. Yeah, yeah, yes. They make phenomenal, yes, phenomenal lagers. And, you know, they had a guy there called uh, Steve, uh, Stephen. Uh, he used to work at Nugnu, which is a brewery from Norway. And he moved back to, to wow. Norway. Uh, but he used to work there at Fox Farm. Wow. And their lagers are just incredible. But yeah, no, there's a bunch of breweries up in there. Like we were talking about this one earlier. Like if you want to have a good lager, Do this right. Hellas, this uh, this Hellas is a, a perfection of a beer. Like this beer is the one that took gold medal at the competition I helped organize in Costa Rica last year. This beer took the gold medal in the, in the category. Shout out to Phil yeah. Markowski and Two Roads. Awesome. <laughs> Boy, and I and I brought down Phil with me to to Costa Rica and Panama. So we spent like three weeks down there. That was fucking awesome. Oh, you hung like, out with Phil? You hung out with Phil? That's awesome. <laughs> well, I helped organize this. Uh, I've been helping organize this competition down in Costa Rica for the last three years. And this last year, I have to say, I'm the proudest because last year I was able to get together what I call a dream team of brewers to come down to judge at the competition. So Phil was one of them. Wow. Uh, Tommy Arthur from the Lost Abbey Ooh. also came down. Uh, Jim Crooks from Firestone Walker Barrel Works. <laughs> Peter Bucart from X New Belgium, now Purpose Brewing in Colorado. <sighs> and Laura Ulrich, one of the brewers at Stone Brewing in California. Oh my so God. <laughs> that was just like a fucking dream team of brewers. Ex very experienced brewers. The, the that, Avengers of beer. <laughs> yeah. So I brought them all down to Costa Rica and we spent like a week in Costa Rica and then another week in Panama. And yeah, we had a fucking great time. Holy shit. I would have given anything to have been uh, uh, in your shoes, sir. Wow. That is unbelievable. That is so cool. <laughs> but since you were talking about Connecticut, there's this other, I want to give this shout out to, to this. Nobody's going to see it, but. You know these guys who make this beer? Oh, I, f I feel like I do, but I don't want to be I don't want to be wrong. Who? So they're called Tribus. Yes, Tribus. Oh my god. Tribus. So they make this beer that is called just that beer. Yes. So they make the the Pilsner, the blonde version, and then they make the black Pilsner, which is fucking amazing. That is so funny and, that you have that T-shirt because um uh someone who's uh who partners with Tribus uh a chef that does a lot of the the food that that comes. Oh yeah. Chef Dan. I, I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, so I, I went to their brewery last year, uh, right after I got back from, right after or before I left to, to Argentina, I went to visit them because I have some friends here who has a brewery here, KCBC. Yes. Uh, they were doing a collab. So I tag along with them and I went up to, to Connecticut with, with Pete and we spent the, the day there at Tribus and I tried their beers and I was like, fucking hell, this is amazing. <laughs> so. 
they gave me some swag and then of course i left with a bunch of beers and then when i was um going to the competition they sent me a little care package which only the the beer the the pilsner and the black pilsner so i was just like oh man this beer is fucking delicious so shout out to the guys at tribus miss you guys hope that i can go and visit you soon have some more of those uh delicious lagers that you make that is awesome you know tribus is so great and they they pump out amazing brews and the fact that you've been there that's i mean that that's awesome and i think that just brings more more credibility and credit to them so that is awesome and this has been a great conversation i really appreciate you uh giving me some of your free time, being able to pick your your brain about beer and that everything that you've done, it's it's super cool. And like I said, I've been a huge fan. I've learned so much about you throughout um, these many, many years that you've been doing this. And not only me, but so many people. And I think, you know, when I say this, I think we all say this, that we're very appreciative of the stories you've told and the photos you've taken and and just the insight because it's it's coming from a um it's coming from a um an area of just honesty and just a good heart. And, uh, you know, when I think of you and, and everything that you've done, that's, that's what I think of. I think of just a tremendous guy and everything that he does is passionate and it comes from the heart. And so I thank you for that. And one last thing that I like to ask my guests before they leave me on the podcast is a question about pizza, because here in Connecticut, we have the best pizza in the country. It's indisputed it's undisputed whatever you want to call it and so, i call bullshit on that already <laughs> and so when i rap i just like to ask my guests since you obviously since you don't live in connecticut i will rephrase this you know what are you know what's what are some of the best pizzas you've ever had not here but maybe internationally and what are some great places that you like to eat in queens and maybe a favorite place from your travels and take it away good sir well, first of all, I'm going to call bullshit on you declaring that Connecticut has the best pizza. <laughs> that is bullshit. A hundred percent. I'm in New York. Gotcha. But I, I'm going to say the best pizza I ever had ever is not in Connecticut or New York. Of course. It's in Texas. Texas? The best pizza that I ever had in my life. It's in a place that is like a mile away from Jester King, actually. It's a place called Pius. Okay. And that pizza just fucking blew my mind. Interesting. So that big shout out to the guys at Pius in the Hill Country in Austin, Texas. Um, and as far as places around here to eat pizza... I don't have a favorite place. Like I, I would just go and have a slice of pizza. Um, so I'm a big fan of those like 99 cent places that you can get a fucking slice for 99 cents. I love those. So at the end, you know, when you're hungry, it doesn't matter if the slice is $14 or 99 cents. It's just going to fucking fill you the same. So what's a favorite um, food of Miguel's? What's your favorite food, though, of all time? Do you have one? No, man, I, I, I love food. All kinds of food. So I'm. I just try to like to try things. I think I was. Uh, we we're talking about earlier before about influences and things like that. Um, I've been a big fan and in some way influenced a little bit. And I think that's the best compliment I ever received was when somebody commented on one of my pictures saying he's like the Anthony Bourdain of beer. 
not that I want to put myself in that category at all, but that was like, to me, that was like the most beautiful compliment I ever received. And, and I liked it so much because I've been a big fan of him for the longest time. So I always liked his approach to life in general and just going to all these places and meeting all these people and their culture and exploring and just trying things because you might never be there again ever. So why not take the opportunity? Just try it. So I the same with when it comes to food, I have been very open-minded about that just to try. You know, even if I don't like it, at least I tried and I can say, okay, I don't like it, but at least I got to try it. Well, I got to tell you, Miguel, it's so funny you mentioned that comment because when I told people I had a podcast today, they said with who? And I summarized it by saying the Anthony Bourdain of beer. No joke. Oh, literally, that is literally what I said to multiple people because, you know, I knew that my friends in the craft beer scene would know if I said, you know, Miguel, Re you know, they would know. They'd be like, oh, the beer track. You know, if I said the beer tracker or Miguel, you know, your name, people would know. And, you know, my craft beer friends. But for those who I know aren't into craft beer as much as me, I just said, I get to talk with the Anthony Bourdain of beer tonight. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I that's exactly how I felt these last uh, few years following you. So that's very, very interesting. And just like you, I'm also a guy who loves to eat everything and loves to try everything. So, like, listen, I don't see why we, we shouldn't get together one day, have a beer. Absolutely. Food, Absolutely. Hang out and listen. Miguel, it was... I'm going to leave you with a, with a little last story now that yeah, we, we mentioned no. this. I have to share this story. So, please. I was talking, we were both talking earlier about Anthony Bourdain. And, you know, for me, when, when I learned about his passing, that was another moment. They kind of like, even though I never met him personally, it also like affected me because of the way that he died. And, you know, mental health is so important uh, that a lot of people don't take the time to understand that. Uh, and I feel that it's a shame because, you know, people go through things. Everybody goes through things. And nobody knows the pain that you are. You can put plaster a smile all the time, but you're fucking dying inside and nobody will ever know. So I feel that that's a very important thing to, to acknowledge and to understand a little bit more. But the story is that when I was living in Miami, when I left Venezuela, that was in 1995. And I moved to Boston. That was my first destination when I came back to the States. I was in Boston for a little bit. And then a year later, I moved to Miami. Two years after I moved to Miami, I was working. I was going to school there. And I found a job as a busser. As a, how do you call that? Busboy? At the way busboy as a busboy in this restaurant and this restaurant was called Leal's and it's uh it was a French restaurant so this was 1998 my brother one of my younger brothers he was also in Miami and he was also we got the job at the same at the same place but he was a waiter so I was a busboy and he was younger than me but I was a busboy he was a waiter and I only lasted there for, I don't know, maybe like two months because then afterwards I found a job in a bank and I kind of moved up and I left. But three years after that, 2001, around the time of 9-11, my brother had moved to New York and he started working at the same restaurant, Leal's. They had one, they had two in New York City, one in Miami, one in DC. The restaurant 
where Anthony Bourdain became famous was that Leal's in the world around the World Trade Center. That's where he wrote that famous book, Kitchen Confidentials. He was the head chef of that restaurant. And I didn't ever get to meet the guy because, again, I only work at the same restaurant that he became famous at, but three years earlier. My brother worked at that same restaurant when he was the chef, and he got to meet the guy. So wow. it's, um, it's uh, yeah. I remember when, wow. when, when all this shit happened, I remember talking to my brother, and we were saying, like, you fucking believe that we both work at the same restaurant that he became this big name. And my brother was like, well, I work with the motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That, that is a great story. That is so cool. I'm glad how it ties everything we were just talking about all together. And you know, it never surprises me with this podcast, how some of the best stories come literally right at the end. Like you, (laughs) You know, the best always comes at the end. The best for last. Saving the best for last. Yeah. And listen, on that note, Miguel, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. You are just so inspirational. Like I said, I've learned so much. You are like a uh, the teacher of craft beer, of all that is good. And you are a great human being as well, which these days, I mean, hard to find and just very comforting. And thank you so much. I hope you have a great evening. Let's hang out. Let's get together as soon as we can, whenever that is. And before you go, where can people find you on social media, your website, and everything like that? So it's the, well, first of all, thank you very much, Jeff, for the invitation again. I really enjoyed having this conversation today. It was awesome uh, having, having beers, just talking. So thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And I hope for your listeners that they enjoy it too. So, and yes, uh, next time I'm up uh, in Connecticut, I will let you know so we can uh, get together. And as far as where people can find my work, uh, Instagram, I will say is the best place. That's where I have all of my work. It's in there. I have the same handle for everything on all social media. It's the the Beard Trekker, the Beard Trekker two Ks, the Beard Trekker for all social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, even TikTok, if people are into the TikTok. Uh, and I have a website. I just haven't launched it yet. Uh, it's there. I had the I had the name, the domain for three, four years now. I'm still building up the courage to just like put it out there live just because I'm so perfectionist that I want it to be perfect. And I've already had people over the years say, it's never going to be perfect. It's going to be always a work in progress. Just fucking put that shit out there already. So I'm still working the, the the courage to to do that. So once it's done, there will also be the the website. Awesome. He is Miguel Rivas. Thank you so much. The Beer Tracker. Check him out anywhere. There's social media platform because that's where he is showing his love of beer through photos and storytelling. Thank you so much for giving me some of your free time, sir. And you have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Jeff. You too. Huge thanks once again to my guest on the podcast today, the beer trekker, Miguel Rivas. Thank you so much, Miguel, for coming on and sharing your story and all the great things that you are doing. All my best, and let's get together soon, my friend. Cheers. Yet again, 
just like that. Another episode of Sweeten Up is in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate your feedback. As a reminder, you can play the podcast with the help of your smart speaker by simply saying, play the podcast Sweeten Up with Jeff Spencer. Thank you as always to my best friends, the guys who make it all possible, post-production and music, Morgan Lutzi, art director, Kurt Vinci, editor and writer, Nick Passacreta, and huge thanks to Devin Sapelli. Next week on the podcast, I will be joined by the great and powerful Dave Acker. Dave Acker is the chief maple officer of Maplecraft Foods based out of Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Dave and his family began harvesting maple sap from trees at family homes in Connecticut and Vermont since 2001. He did this because he loved maple syrup and wanted kids to develop a healthier connection with natural food and where it comes from. Dave and his family decided to start Maplecraft Foods in 2014 to help make people smile and develop healthier connections with food, with nature, and with each other, while also supporting survivors and volunteers working to make our communities safer and sweeter. One taste of Maplecraft Foods products, like I have, will make you smile. But until then, you know the deal. Stay safe, stay healthy. Love you all. Peace.